I was born in Japan, and when I was just a few months old, my parents went to visit a famous Christian. This is a woman who'd had a remarkable influence for Christ in a country where fewer than 1% of the people are Christians. I'm told that as their time with her came to a close, she took me in her arms and she prayed for me. Now, my parents can't remember what it was she prayed, but let's just for a moment imagine that in her prayer, she prayed that God would bless my life and that I would be able to be a great person. Can't you just imagine my parents walking away proud and honored to have heard those words? But what if then there were a sudden change in focus, a change in tone, and she began to pray for my parents, specifically for my mother, that God would be with her in times of difficulty and sorrow that would one day come because of me. Imagine how my parents might have walked away conflicted and troubled by what they had heard. When Jesus was just six weeks old, it came time for the purification rites required by the law of Moses. So Mary and Joseph left early in the morning with Jesus, and they traveled five miles from Bethlehem to, to Jerusalem up a twisting, winding road. Jesus had been brought up in a pious Jewish household. His parents made it a priority to live by the way of life prescribed to them by the Jewish law. And for a firstborn son, there would be three ceremonies that each family would be required to observe. The first of these was circumcision, which was to be done eight days after the birth of the child. And normally this was when the baby was named. And we know that this was already done because in Luke 2.21, we're told that on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. The second ceremony was called the rite of redemption. This was performed for a firstborn any time after the first month of life and required an offering of five shekels. The ceremony symbolized a family buying back their son from God out of the conviction that children are a gift from God. The final ceremony was the purification of the mother, and this could take place anytime 40 days or so after the birth. And normally it required the sacrifice of a lamb, but if a family was poor, and Jesus' family was, then two pigeons would suffice. But until that time, the, the mother would be unclean for public worship. Because Mary and Joseph didn't live in Jerusalem, um, and they had to make that five-mile trek, they combined these final two ceremonies into one occasion. They arrived in the city, they made their way to the temple, and approached the court of women. And as they made their way into the courtyard with their son Jesus, they expected to see a priest, to make the offering, and then return home. They came simply out of duty, with no expectation of anything memorable taking place which makes what happens next a complete surprise. You see, what they didn't know is what Luke tells us, and that is that there were two people who were waiting their entire lives for this moment. Their names are Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna were old. We're not given Simeon's age, but Anna was either 84 or 104, depending on how you interpret the text. They were righteous, very good people who kept the law of Moses carefully. They were deeply devoted to God. They regularly prayed and worshiped. And they were patient. They had not given up hope for what they were waiting for. Now Simeon's the first to approach the family. We're told that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's a mouthful, but it's a rabbinical phrase used by Jews to describe their hope for a better future for God's people. But he'd been waiting for a long time. And now he had his doubts. What if the Messiah didn't come? 
What helped Simeon was a special promise that God had given him. It had been revealed, we're told, to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Now that's a remarkable promise. And it was not something that he dreamed up on his own. It was revealed to him by God. But even with this, it must have been very difficult to wait. His health was failing, getting around was hard. He knew he didn't have long to live. But he held on to the Spirit's promise. He believed God was about to do something wonderful in the world. And Simeon wanted to see it, to participate in it, to be a part of it. Then one day the Spirit spoke to him again. It says that day he was moved by the Spirit. He felt a sudden burst of energy as he made his way to the temple. He'd been told to look for a family bringing their son to the temple for this required offering. So when Mary and Joseph walked in with their son Jesus, Simeon was waiting. He greeted them. He asked them if he could hold their child. And then he took him in his arms and he praised God saying this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then he handed the baby back to the parents and he blessed them. Luke tells us that Jesus' parents marveled at what was said about him. And I'll bet they were. A total stranger has just told them that their child is the one that he's been waiting for, that everyone's waiting for, that he is the Messiah, the Savior for all people, not merely for the Jews. But that wasn't all that Simeon had to say. After giving them this mood, or this, this news, the mood changes and he has something difficult to say. What he says, he says not to Joseph, or even to Joseph and Mary, but he specifically says it to Mary. He says directly to her, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This rising and falling that he's talking about is the hard reality that even though Jesus came to bring peace, not everyone would respond to him positively. Some, in fact, would reject him. How we respond to Jesus is telling. Those who reject Jesus will fall. And it's not Jesus who judges, but we who judge ourselves. We're judged by our reaction to Jesus. But not all will reject him. Others will rise, he says, embracing Jesus and finding salvation. You see, with Jesus, there is no middle ground. We must either surrender, and if we do, be lifted up and find joy and salvation, meaning and purpose and hope we would not otherwise have. But if we meet Jesus and choose to walk away, we are the ones who judge ourselves. But Simeon has one more thing to say to Mary, and it's the most difficult of all. He says, a sword will pierce your own soul. He's telling her that great pain will come into her life. And we know because we know the rest of the story. This is something that while she didn't know, eventually she would find that she would suffer anguish at the way that Jesus was treated in the last hours of his life. This encounter with Simeon is a turning point in Mary's life. Up to this point, the messages that she has received have been overwhelmingly positive. But in a brief moment, Simeon bursts her bubble with the news that would haunt Mary from that day forward. Now we're gonna to return to this idea in the next few weeks, but it's enough now to say that it took Mary years for her to understand fully what Simeon meant that day, to understand who Jesus really was. 
When we think of Mary, we think first of her as highly favored and full of grace, and she was. But Simeon rounds out the picture. What Mary heard from the angel that her son was the Messiah, she immediately envisioned him as the future king of Israel. But Simeon tells her not so fast. He will be a king, but not in the way that you think. One day he will be rejected, and when he is, a sword will pierce your heart. Glory, yes, but also sorrow as well. And while at first these two don't seem to go together, one day, as we now know, those words together would perfectly describe Jesus because his glory would come, but it would come through sorrow and loss. We need to also understand that the sorrow that Simeon mentions here is not just reserved for the end of Jesus' life because there's evidence that Mary had a number of smaller sorrows scattered throughout her life. There's no question that the worst blow would come when she stood with the Apostle John and a handful of other women and watched Jesus hanging and dying from a Roman cross. Martin Luther once summarized Simeon's words this way. He said, Dear Mary, you have borne a son. The world, the flesh, and the devil will be against him. The world, the flesh, and the devil will be against him. So just imagine you're a mom. Your baby is six weeks old, and someone says something like this to you. It's no wonder that some have called Mary our Lady of Sorrows. Now before we wrap up, we need to mention that Simeon wasn't the only one the Spirit prompted to be there that day. As Simeon finishes his conversation with Mary and Joseph, a very old woman named Anna arrives. She's a widow. She's either, again, 84 or 104, depending on how you read the text. But Luke tells us that she never left the temple. She worshiped day and night, praying and fasting. Now, that might sound like an exaggeration, and it probably is to some extent, but it's not far from the truth. Worshiping God was her life. We're told that Anna had been widowed for many years, probably just married for a brief time, and then her husband died. This was in the days when there was no Social Security. She didn't have her husband's um, IRA to rely on or a career to fall back on. And yet, despite a lifetime of difficulty, she had not grown bitter. She may have been old, but she never gave up hope. She was tired, but she never ceased to worship. And much had gone wrong, but she never stopped praying. And as a consequence, she was greatly respected and her words carried great weight. Anna too blessed the baby. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Simeon and Anna were devout Israelites who looked forward to the coming of the promised Messiah. They lived in a difficult time in a land occupied by a foreign army. Wicked people were running the country and its religious institutions. To many, it felt like for 400 years that God had been entirely silent. Some still believed that the Messiah was coming, but others were skeptical and had given up hope. But not Simeon and Anna. After the time in the temple, Mary and Joseph um, left. Now, the time they were there may have been only 10 or 15 minutes, not very long. But they made their way back home. And Mary, particularly, thought about what she'd heard. Again, it would be many years before the words she heard here were fulfilled, both the good and the bad. But as bad as the bad is from here on out, and it was bad, it is also true that the bad led to good, to the best of all possible news. One of the ironies of Mary's story is that the very saddest moment of her life 
was also the moment that led to her greatest joy. Because as Good Friday gave way to Saturday, to Easter and Saturday to Easter Sunday, Mary, like all of us, received in Jesus' death and then in his resurrection, the salvation of our souls. The angel said that Mary was full of grace. Simeon said that her life would be full of sorrow, but in the end, she was full of joy. And the same is true for us. It may sound strange at the time of Christmas to be talking about Easter, but the single most reassuring message of the season is that our true hope does not depend upon us. Our future hope does not come from our virtue or wisdom or our good deeds, but it comes from Jesus Christ. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a man who lost his life in a Nazi prison just days before the end of World War II, once compared our dependence to Jesus this way. He said, we are completely dependent upon the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside. Now, the metaphor, of course, is drawn directly from his experience of sitting in a prison cell and knowing that the doors are locked from the outside. There's no way from the inside that he could make his way out. And while Bonhoeffer didn't complete the thought, I will, the one who has the key to that door is Jesus himself. Mary didn't have an easy life. But in the end, she understood the full glory and the story of Jesus' life. That he is the one who has lived the life that we ought to have lived but have not. He died the death that we deserved, giving us the possibility of a relationship with God through what he has done for us, giving to us and guaranteeing the hope of eternal life. Let us pray. Father, our lives, like Mary, have times of joy and times of sorrow. May we find you to be near at every moment of our lives. Help us to find in what we're learning of Mary the humility to listen to your voice. And may we remember that the baby of Jesus of Christmas became a man, that he died on the cross, making it possible for us to know you. And in that, we have hope. Amen.